Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. So this is the second episode of us exploring what firms are about to do in terms of going back to the office. You might be on a summer break at the moment, or you might be one of the people who's debating when do you go back to the office and what does that look like? And if you are in that situation, then maybe one of the things that you'll most enjoy is the newsletter that's been accompanying the podcast for the last few months, where each week I look into companies who are facing those challenges and, and facing those problems. And today I'm going to be talking to some of them. So I've, I've got a the biggest collection of guests I've ever had. I'm talking to a wide range of people. And this episode accompanies the previous one where I chatted specifically to Dan Cullen Shoot, who is the boss of a an agency called Creature. And he said, he described how his company is thinking about going back on a energized Wednesday, Thursday. So I'm going to be talking to, to lots of other organizations. If you like this, and if this is a discussion that you're having in your workplace, then maybe you'd like to share this with your colleagues and, and use it to facilitate a discussion. And uh, so both that and the newsletter that you can find at Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, I think will inform your decisions there. So now I'm going to talk to lots of different people in different sectors. To kick off, I call Beth Marie Norbury, who works for the defence contractor Babcock International. The part of Babcock that Beth Marie works in does all manner of secret and logistical things with the armed services. I'm the people director for one of the marine um, businesses within Babcock. Babcock is ultimately a defence engineering services business, and we're in kind of four sectors that, that pretty much mirror what the Army, Navy and uh, Air Force require, but also to more commercial clients, not just to the Ministry of Defence. I wanted to know how they'd found out what people wanted to do when it comes to returning to the office. So we did a survey of our people and 6% said they wanted to come back to site. 80 said mixture of the two, which is what we're doing, two to three days in and two to three days out. But 12% of people said they'd like to permanently work remotely. So never come back to the office. 
And we've said, well, that's not quite possible. We'd like to see your face sometimes, you know, even if it's only once a month or something. So we've, we've now got three working patterns. So I'm going to do, a, from an HR boring perspective, a variation to terms and conditions on the 1st of October. And you'll either be a site worker, a flex worker or a remote worker. And we've got a kit list up and you pick what you need to do that. Obviously, working in such a supplier sounds like it was probably traditional. What would someone like Beth Marie do to try to change that? So I've been in Babcock two years. I was at Dyson before, and I've mostly worked in consumer-facing businesses. This is the first time I've worked in a business that interfaces more into the public sector. So I inherited a traditional command and control, finance-led, paper-based culture. I think people at the heart of what we do was not top of the agenda. We didn't talk about employee experience or engaging people. And so I started a journey of trying to introduce things like flexible working and dropping dress codes so we didn't wear suits, you know, we could wear what was appropriate for our diary. We'd started around doing things around leadership development and culture programs around trying to make moments that matter for people in the business so that they enjoy coming to work and they can have better work-life integration rather than, you know, nine to five turn up, do my fixed core hours. So I'd started to do some quite operational stuff like trialing, removing core hours from the business, introducing flexibility slowly. But the concept of homeworking with our leaders was not landing and they couldn't understand that at all. Why would you work from home? And then overnight, 70% of us went home. We weren't set up from a technological point of view. Many of our people had desktops, not laptops, partially because of some of the work we do needs to be connected to a secure network. And sometimes we need very powerful bits of kit to do the engineering that we do. But we suddenly had to find ways around on a business that didn't ask people to use personal phones, you know, in order to FaceTime someone or Zoom someone, we can't do that on our network because of security. So suddenly we had to find lots of instant workarounds. So we've taken it as an opportunity to accelerate our culture change. So rather than go, well, let's just cope, hunker down and see what we can do. We've got actually how can we use this to accelerate the change we were trying to put in place anyway? And many of our people know they've experienced flexible ways of working, actually really seeing the benefits and saying, well, I didn't get what homeworking meant before. Or I didn't get what work-life balance was until now I don't have to commute and I can see my kids or I can do my hobby and work. So we're trying to set up a project team in June to say, right, OK, let's make this a permanent change then. And our aim is to launch it at the end of September. So they've got their plans. Have they made the big announcement yet? What are they telling their colleagues? We've been drip feeding communications over the last sort of eight weeks, trying to paint a picture and a bit of a vision of what does flex working really mean and what does it look like? Some of our roles will have to be site-based because of the nature of what they are. But we think the majority, 70% odd of people, could be two to three days at home and two to three days in the office. So we're repurposing our office spaces to what we call collaborative hubs. You will come in if you need to meet team members, if you've got innovation to do together, or frankly, you want social connection or just you meeting as a team or whatever that might be. So we're moving to hot desking. So everybody currently has a permanent desk with a pedestal and probably a bookshelf, five photos of their family and pets on their desk. And that's where they sat for 20 years. Everybody's currently clearing the offices during August. And then we are repurposing our buildings. There will be hot desking spaces, quiet working spaces, 
informal meeting spaces and then what we're calling collaboration spaces of different sizes. And we're using a matrix online booking system where you will book in and say, well, I want, a de- I want to come to the office today, so I want a desk. We'll obviously have a certain capacity, which given COVID will be about 40% of the offices in order to maintain social distancing. So there will be a booking system. You book your hot desk up to a week before and you turn up at site. And team leaders will be able to book collaboration spaces longer in advance so they can make sure they can get teams in together. And we're just saying, right, work your 37 hours, how, where and when you like, as long as it delivers for the customer, as long as it's safe and secure for the work that we do. And, and you delivering your role, we're going to trust you to deliver. So it's, it's a massive change. We've had a couple of consultants in to help us look at our spaces and they said, you don't need this much space now if you're going to work like that. But we can't change our buildings. We own our buildings or we're the landlord of the building. So actually, we're just going to make them more creative spaces and say, right, okay, what kind of, rather than having to go to a hotel for an away day, if we had proper collaboration spaces booked and sorted, then we can use the facilities we've got in a different way. So we're even introducing kind of coffee bar kind of concepts and saying, well, can we, you know, have a place where people can bump into each other? Because the thing that we're finding with remote working, the downside is you lose those corridor conversations and people get really tired on virtual calls. So the bit we're struggling with and the bit that I'm trying to look at next is how do you maintain social connection when you're remote or when people are coming and going at different times? Because even though we'll allow people to come in two to three days and they can book, that might not be at the same time as other people they might normally pass. How do you enable that? That's an innovation job right there that I'm kind of looking and reading around and trying to steal ideas from other people. But it seems that Lots of companies are in the same boat, not really knowing what that looks like. And what are Babcock doing? Are they planning any big events for the team to come back? We're running our first virtual conference at the start of October, and that will be our official launch. But in the meantime, we threw in a, a digital platform called Hive Learning to help us share bite-sized content. It's got a functionality like a kind of a Facebook-esque. You can like content and write comments and contribute. And that's where we're starting the debate that's where we're putting articles about, oh, look at what Siemens have said and look at what Google and Twitter are up to, because those are probably companies we'd aspire to. Just to try and get our staff engaged in the conversation. And we've had to do everything from literally go, right, we've got to buy everybody a laptop, a backpack, a privacy screen and give them expenses for a suitable work surface and a chair. Thank you, Beth Marie from Babcock. Then I chatted to Tom Ellis. Now, Tom Ellis is the CEO of a company called Brand Genetics that works in a marketing capacity with various different brands, as he explains. Hi, I'm Tom Ellis. I'm CEO of Brand Genetics. We're a brand growth consultancy. And we work with many multinational companies like Mondelez, Unilever, AB InBev, that sort of thing. Being global and with a kind of London hub, we had people all around the world at many, many points in time. So we were pretty cool with it, actually. Even before I joined Brand Genetics, when it was a sort of two-man band, we didn't have an office. So the, the kind of culture was there to an extent that we hired people we trusted to work remotely and we set up that we had the technology to work remotely when we needed to. In all, has this been a good experience for a company like Brand Genetics? Yes and no. I think the biggest disruption was now we're entirely remote and our big thing is being kind of human first. We talk about for our clients, but that's also about our colleagues. I think seeing people face to face beat Zoom hands down at the end of the day. There's a huge amount you can get done online and on email and all the other great tools that we've got. But 
that sort of human interaction was, I think, what we really missed. It was very easy to transition in the sense of we could literally just go home one day and not come in the next. But at the same time, I think we've seen that there are challenges and issues around communication, access to one another, and just those, the, the cliche, but the kind of the, the water cooler chat type moment. So they've been running operations totally remotely. When are they planning to get people back? Yeah, I mean, we've been entirely remote since a week before sort of lockdown was announced. And we're going to go back and open the office up sort of officially from September, but a very, very much a soft launch. I think what we're aware of is some people have homes where they can happily work remotely and they've got people around them, they've got what they need, or maybe they don't want people around them. I think we've got other colleagues who are perhaps in small one-bedroom flats They don't have that sort of social environment that they want. They don't maybe have the work environment that they want at home. And therefore, the office works better for some people at the present point in time than it does for others. So long-winded way, Bruce, of saying, we'll come back in September. We'll keep it very, very flexible, but we'll just start to get used to life back in an office. So people back in some form in September, what will that look like? I think... From the start, what we'll do is get teams to try and encourage them to organize around a day. And again, I think this is something I've learned from listening to your podcast. Um, There's no point in turning up if everyone else is still on Zoom, unless it's particularly a place you want to be. I think we'll organize that around projects, around teams, rather than around a sort of top-down piece. I think longer term, we might start to say, look, by and large, we'll will not be in on a Friday, but we will have everyone in on, say, a Monday and then have have days in between more flexi. Now, before we talked off the tape, Tom told me they had a great culture. So an awkward question, but has this experience impacted the energised culture that they had? You know, I think it has. I'd love to tell you it hasn't had an impact. I think it has. And here's a couple of things. First of all, we were a very sociable, friendly office. And these things become much more transactional when you have to set up a meeting. We've used a great little app on Slack called Donut that just hooks you up with someone for a kind of coffee. But again, it's slightly more formalized and um, you, you don't just get that happy buzz. I think the other thing we found is that whilst we've had a very flat structure, People feel they don't have the access to some of the senior team members that they had in the office. And so, again, that just creates a sort of greater sense of them and us, a greater hierarchy. And those are the negatives. We've tried to manage that as best we can, but I wouldn't want to go on purely remotely for much longer than we have to. I'm grateful for this because Tom's the first person, to be honest, there's less connection of people on different levels of hierarchy. So I guess the question is, how do they tackle that? Is that difficult? It's hugely difficult. And of course, your days are full of meetings as a, as a senior manager as well. So when you actually have that chance to even kind of remotely walk around, it feels a bit funny. I've tried to do a few kind of calls in with some of the, the, the younger members of the team just to check in. But I think when you see the CEO ringing your phone, you think, oh, shit you know, what have I done wrong? And so I spent the first two minutes trying to reassure them that there's no problem. I'm just sort of calling for a chat. So I think it does change that whole dynamic, which is, uh, yeah, which is a shame, but kind of trying to figure out how to get around that has been hard. Are there any things that they've found as experiments or new norms that have worked? Over-communicate is a really big one. There's so much that you 
communicate i mean obviously there's the the kind of the body language and everything but i think there's so much you communicate in the way you act around people that they can see and they can hear in an office when you are actually on a on a kind of call or something like that it, it, it you really have to push these messages and repeat them and i had a little post-it note with three key messages for the first three months that i wanted to get across the team that i repeated like a little mantra almost every meeting so i became very sort of almost branded in my messaging um which i, I hope helped we, we the guys got together we we're lucky enough to work opposite a nice sort of Fitzroy Square so the guys got together in London I'm, I'm not in London sadly but with a few of them yesterday for a sort of picnic and a few, few drinks which was really nice and, and and we've done pub quizzes and we've done cook together you know guys have been amazing in trying to organize and well and organizing social gatherings that I think have really helped keep that that fun side of the business that community side of the business going but you know it's 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 all a sort of um it's all second best i think i don't think anyone would mind me saying that it's never quite as good as in person a couple of other things what what does tom think recruitment looks like in this new world we paused recruitment um whilst we sort of sat things sat things out i mean again from a business perspective our we 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 had an amazing start to the year, but we did see orders drop, projects drop off dramatically. So we kind of cut things back on that front. And and what we're seeing now is is you know business seems to be coming back online, and that's brilliant from our our perspective. And recruitment is now back on the agenda. I think it's very hard to for me, and maybe this is old fashioned, to get my head around how we recruit people into our culture and embed them remotely. Again, I mean, you'd said, look, we're being quite pragmatic about it. We are. But I think um, I think that's probably the hardest thing. We've got a great team in place. How you bring in new people, especially young new people who are learning the skills and how they learn in a sort of really effective way, I think that's really tough. I mean, it's one thing if you bring in somebody who's been there, done that. You know, that's then about a cultural mix and fit. But I think if you're learning the ropes as a, as a consultant, it's, it's a lot harder. Longer term, a company like Brand Genetics, have they thought about how they're going to run this? Rory Sutherland talks about people who do Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. T-W-A-T would be the acronym. Have they thought about something like that? I suppose the only thing is longer term, what this has shifted us to, which was I, I popped on that LinkedIn piece, which is this idea of actually shifting to three days in and two days out. I think we would do Friday out by and large, but actually not be a not just be a twat as uh, as Rory Sutherland calls it, right? But allow the, the sort of maybe the Monday is is a, a bit more of a collegiate day, and then allow a bit more flex over Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But our feeling was just if you did if you flip that, a you get a kind of poor use of office space frankly if it's only being used 40 percent of the time rather than 60 percent of the time or 80 percent of the time and and secondly we're gonna that's a principle not a rule and so if somebody says well this week you know what i'm only going to come in the office two days a week perfectly reasonable but if you started from a two day a week principle and they went down to one day then pretty soon you get you know how many people in the office across a week and as you guys have said, look, the offices benefit from a network effect. 
So you, you need to kind of go in there and not just see your own team, but a few other people, I think. How much does Tom think this is a moment of total transformation? Here's a good cautionary note from him to end. I think the one thing, maybe one thing I would say, where we do a lot of our stuff on psychology is I wonder whether it's going to change as much as we think. And I wonder whether come 2021, 22, maybe when this is all hopefully um, a distant memory, whether office culture will look a lot closer to 2019 than we think about right now. Because human beings, you know, we have a bias for the present. We think this is the end, the end of history attribution, right? Which is change stops here. I, I, I think there's a lot of things that will shift, but it's an acceleration towards remote working trends that we've seen already rather than a sudden abrupt shift in what office life is about. Thank you to Tom Ellis from Brand Genetics. Next up, I chatted to Richard, who works at a world-renowned pharmaceutical company. After we chatted, his firm said that they didn't want to be named in particular. My name's Richard. Where I work is we study adverse events after our products. So we look at any sort of side effects or whatever. We look at those. And then I work specifically developing and supporting the systems, looking at these adverse events, the safety database and and associated systems. So that's what I do. Our organization, our department is very broad. We have people in the US, India and the UK as well. So we work very internationally. One thing that's come up a bit is people who work in companies before have got the sort of social capital and the connections to cope but what about the new people you can you can maintain you can maintain the existing connections i think quite okay but it's the new people i have no idea how they're gonna they're gonna get friends or you know for a maintenance perspective you know i do have chats with people that strictly work during the course of my working day as i would have done when i was in the office you know so it, it i think as i say it it will be difficult for the new the new people uh, I, I don't see how that's gonna go easily um but yeah they will figure it out i guess i don't know i think working in an open plan office is not a lot of fun quite often that part of it i won't miss it's not that pleasant actually working in a big open plan office there's nothing to miss it with that in mind thank you to richard from the secret place Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, finally, I chatted to Laura Pleasance, and she works at the startup Captify. She explained what they do. Yeah, so my name's Laura Pleasance. I'm the VP of marketing at Captify. We are the largest holder of search data outside of Google, so we're effectively using the world of on-site search to power media and insights for around 800 of the world's biggest brands. So, yeah, my responsibility is uh, all of the marketing piece, so everything from communications to product marketing, everything that falls underneath that umbrella. So they're a tech firm. Did they already have flexible working before this? We are about 10 years old. And before that, we I guess for the past year before lockdown, we had gone on a bit of a journey in terms of flexible working and started to introduce things like, you know, somewhat working from home, not really as a general policy. We had flexible working um, in that you could work in any of our offices around the world. But I definitely think that we weren't set up for a fully remote you know, transition. Um, I'm actually quite surprised at how we've managed to really like cope with it in lockdown. It's been actually really good and really productive. So we've kind of like shocked ourselves <laughs> a little bit. So what are the Captify plans? Yeah, so we actually opened this week in London. So that's our headquarters. In the US and our other markets, we're just taking every market, market by market. It's not a blanket policy. And we're also not forcing anyone to come back because I think the key thing for us is really kind of to listen. So we really... Throughout the whole process for the past five months, we've really just engaged with our teams across the world and kind of understood what's really important to them. We've got an amazing people team that have really just been listening. So the office is open. There's been a few people back in, probably normally but we've got about 120 in London. There's been about 20 people back this week. But I think that people will generally, I think the more people that go in and they can see it's comfortable and safe, like the big thing for us was really inviting people back into our like what is a really lively bustling office and making sure that it wasn't a very clinical return I think that was the key thing because it can be quite scary if you've got like you know everyone in masks and lots of like hazardous style messaging and we've really kind of collaborated with my team and the people team to make sure that that welcome back feels like somewhat human and not scary I think is the key thing for us. How many days is she returning? So I picked two. So I'm going to do two days a week. So everyone can read. You could select from like zero to five. And I'm going to do two. I think I find like I've got into quite a good groove of having, you know, some quiet, more time of my own to get like bigger projects done. And I think the bit that I'm really missing from my side is collaboration. Like I head up marketing, right? So we've got a mixture of like content creation and we've got design and everybody needs at some point to kind of be able to work together collaboratively on, on our bigger projects. But where they're, I'm really taking advantage, I guess, of being able to be at home and find that quiet time to get like a bit of concentration as well. We're still not going to force anyone to come back. I know some companies are doing like a mandatory two days and or a mandatory one day. We're not going to do that certainly for the rest of the year, as far as I know. And the bus, the tube, you know, the jam-packed, you know, 45-minute commute for a lot of people. So we're just going to listen for the rest of the year, see what people feel really comfortable with with and give them options and, and kind of it's quite a I honestly can't believe what our people team have done this matrix of when people can go in and a booking system for like you know taking the days that work for you and it's it, it's actually great because it works for everybody on an individual level 
Um, and we're doing that scaled across all of our markets as well. As people are going back, will they mark the return with a conference or a get together or anything like that? We normally have like the most amazing events. So we, we normally around this time of the year have our big kind of company summer parties that are amazing ways to get people together. We did explore, can we do that in a digital sense? It didn't really feel right. Um, I don't think we're going to do anything. My my events calendar on the marketing side is completely zero this year. So I'm not even planning for any events coming back until the new year. Um, but it's t- in terms of like getting back together, I'd hope we'd be able to have our Christmas parties if we can, but we're not doing anything at the moment. Just like safe kind of social distancing style um, one-on-one drinks or something like that. But yeah, events are quite difficult for everyone. And what's the Captify view? Has this been a positive or negative experience overall? I think it's positive. It's obviously like the worst like thing that we've most of us have ever experienced in our careers. But I actually think, you know, lots of companies, and I can say that, you know, at times we've been we've been guilty of it too. Maybe haven't fast tracked, you know, more of a, a policy that does give people freedom to work in the way that works for them. And I think that, you know, trust has always been the factor for any company that, you know, can we trust everyone to work from home and can you get the same level of productivity and I think for us, the big thing was culture. So we're looking at, does, does culture now mean that everyone has to be together? Or how can we drive that amazing culture, especially within our industry? You know, that's a huge driver for a lot of the companies that people pick. And can we drive that culture without needing to see each other every day? And I think we're doing a good job of getting that blend. But we've got to put a lot of work in to make sure that it thrives and it grows versus like staying what it is. So I think we can take a lot of positives out of a very difficult time. I personally le- learned a lot about myself and about how I manage my team. And did I give them enough sa- space before? I probably underestimated just how much they could like do independently. And I think that that's been amazing like growth for us as a team. I'm like actually so shocked at the the way that everybody kind of just stepped up. So it's a lesson, I think, in leadership as well to kind of like trust a little bit more. And people can do their jobs wherever they are in the world. Um, it doesn't really matter. Any thoughts on how things have gone for team members, how they're going to measure performance? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we've seen is like everyone's handled it in different ways. So from a performance point of view, I think it's we've got we've got a pretty clear roadmap for the company. We know our goals and objectives. It's all very, you know, transparent. We, you know, everyone can see what everyone's working on. We use like tools and technology to do that. So it's not really a case of more performance. I think it's more about the other factors that might hinder performance, you know, lots of different people cope with situations like this in different ways. And we've had to do a lot to make sure that people are, you know, mind, mindfulness and wellness can really impact performance. And we invested quite heavily in kind of, we did a program quite early on of like mindfulness, breathing exercises, gratitude sessions, appreciation. We've got experts in to help us with that because for us, that was the worry that, you know, we've got, a very, very different working world and people really having to transition and lots of different living situations as well, especially capital cities. You've got, you know, a range of people. I'm not from London, right? So I don't have family around me and I don't have someone that's able to kind of like drop off a care package if I needed it. And you've got to, we had to really think about all the different living situations for people and people are on in lockdown or shared homes and renting rooms in a shared house. It's all these different kind of scenarios that we had lots of new babies as well born and very difficult challenges for for parents in lockdown too so I think it's more about can this environment it's not conducive for a lot of people's um, mental health and well-being so that was a key factor for us as well I guess you really see the making of the company that you're working in in this moment that's I've come out the other side of it and went and I've been at Captify for five years and 
I think what I've taken away is like the appreciation for the people that I work with. And I think the appreciation for my peers and the leadership team. And that's something that maybe you don't spend enough time thinking about. And I've seen my friends that maybe work at other companies that have maybe not handled it like we have. And I come out of the side going, we're actually, you know, I work with like amazing bunch of people. I think a lot of people have had time to reflect and appreciate and come out the other side of this, you know, a little bit calmer about life and things as well. So I think that will be, that just changes our perspective as, as employees, as well as, as leaders. That's an interesting point that people will see which are the best companies in the way they're dealing with these situations. I honestly think it cha- this will change how people score future employers as well. You know, you see the worth of your employer in this moment and you see what they've got and you see that when times are really hard and when shit hits a fan, what does your company do to support you? Because I felt supported. I know my team felt supported, but I look at other companies and go, you maybe haven't thought about this through the eyes of the employee. And I get that you want to drive revenue and you want to drive growth. And that's really important. But if you take care of people and that they feel safe, I think the biggest thing for us is like, we actually locked our office down a week before the government told us to because we could see the fear starting to build and the teams, the, the confusion and the fear. We made a call and said, actually, let's just do this quickly and we can actually pivot to working from home, you know, while we don't have the the regulations then that we have to. So we had a bit of a head start on it and kind of said we were actually in a management offsite and just made that decision and went back to the office and closed it all down. So I think... I know that everyone felt really safe in that moment. They were like, they're not forcing us to do anything. We feel like the company's making the right decision for us. So like safety, just not, you know, physical safety, but like mental safety, I think is actually really important. Thank you so much for the four people in this episode. And then I also spoke to Dan Cullen Shoot in the previous episode. More than anything, I think everyone wants to understand right now what other people are doing. And so I wanted to do some exploration into that. In the next episode, I'm going to be chatting to an expert from PwC who does this facilitation and this studying with all manner of organisations. So there's, there's more to come. hope you found this beneficial. If you are interested in the show notes, I mentioned that I did a survey a few weeks ago and you can see some of the findings of that. I've given some quotes, some stats on that. 40% of people say that their firm is going back next year. So you might want to take a look in that if, you're, if your firm is trying to work out what happens next. As ever, if you're interested in finding out more of how to fix your work and improve your working culture, best place is to go to the website Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat and sign up for the, the newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. I've been Bruce Daisley. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.